Let me ask you a question. Do you have a deep knowing that you're only just scratching the surface of where you're capable of taking your business growth? Are you successful but have some invisible hurdles that are slowing you down? Business growth comes from creating and implementing strategies and frameworks, but strategies and frameworks on their own will not take you to the level I know you desire and are capable of. Living in alignment with your unique human design will help you to attract the abundance you are ready for. And I've just created a free guide to help you understand your unique human design blueprint. It's called the Human Design Advantage, and you can get your copy over at samanthariley.global forward slash advantage. The biggest thing with strategic partnerships or referrals is the trust equation. So if people are aware of the trust equation, if it doesn't stack up, there's no referrals. If it does stack up, then all of a sudden things start to flow. My name is Samantha Riley, and this is the podcast for coaches, course creators, and experts who want to grow their influence, income, and impact to take their coaching business to a million dollars and beyond. We're going to share the latest business growth, marketing, and leadership strategies, as well as discussing how you can use your human design to create success in business and life inside and out. Create the influence, income, and impact you need to build your business so you can create your ideal lifestyle. It's time to make a difference and scale up. This is the Influence by Design podcast. Welcome to today's episode of Influence by Design. I'm your host, Samantha Riley. What we're going to talk about is all about strategic partnerships and referrals to grow your seven-figure business. I'm joined today by David Guest, and I'm super excited to dive into this topic with you today, David. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Sam. Great to be here. Pretty excited about, you know, wrapping up the year and uh, just getting getting things sort of closed, sealed off. Absolutely. So we're recording this for both of us as the last interview before Christmas. It's going live, obviously, um, in the new year, but both of us were just saying, we're kind of glad to have that breather and know that this is, you know, one of those things that we're ticking off and we're one step closer to having some time out. So we're finishing on a high note here. I know we will. Why don't you share a little bit about what it is that you do and the kind of clients that you serve right now? Sure. So um, I've been running our coaching practice for 20 years and uh, we spent a lot of time, I suppose, in those early days, just building the uh, one-on-one coaching business. We moved into group programs probably about seven years ago. So we have a combination. We've got four coaches working here with us now. And today's conversation was really, I suppose you, you showed some interest in how we generate our leads for our business. I've been a big fan of getting referrals and word of mouth for my business. Uh, most people that I speak to. But um, we systemized it. So we actually came up with a clever way of uh, filling our funnel with highly qualified and and referred leads. So I suppose today was really just talking about the anatomy of that, how we did it, where we are right now and, and what we do. And for everyone that listens to this podcast, they know I love a good system. I get a bit excited about systems because I know that it's systems in our business that actually create the freedom, which is what we all crave as business owners and entrepreneurs. So before you started your coaching business, why don't you give us the short, I guess, crazy ride of how you wound up in business for yourself? What brought you to open your own business? It's one of the ones before that (laughs) started years ago when I was young. I don't know, some people will be in this scenario. When I was a kid, my parents ran their own business. Mm-hmm. And uh, rather than paying for babysitting, they paid me to come to work with them. So I was five years old. I think I was on about 50 cents a day, which was pretty good in those days, tax-free. That was my experience. Now, when I was 
quizzing my parents about why do you run your own business? Well, they were immigrants into the country, so they didn't really speak English well. They couldn't get a job easily. So really, they didn't have a choice. (laughs) And they said, we're running this business so we can make money so you can go to school and become a professional. You can become whatever you like, a doctor or a lawyer, right? So (laughs) uh, the choices, right? (laughs) Yeah, right. Uh, I get that. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, I was a big disappointment because I never finished high school, Mm -hmm. you know, and so they sort of were a bit thrown. They said, you know, we're working really hard to make sure you get a nice, you know, professional career behind you. Mm-hmm. But I didn't I didn't get it, right, because I was not academic. I was not a school person. I, I couldn't sit in the classroom and, and concentrate all day. I was a troublemaker in the class. I started questioning this whole idea of becoming a professional and saying, well, hang on, so why, why are you telling me that running a business is the poor man's way of making money when business people can make a lot of money? Mm-hmm. So this distinction between you know running a business because you haven't got a choice and running a business because you're sort of interested in making a difference was quite a sort of almost like a diametrically opposed ideas. And mm-hmm. so I started questioning what, what's the difference between those people that are successful and those people that just really work hard. And as it turns out, it's not about how smart you are at all. It's a lot to do with uh, your view of business. Okay. Mm. So if you look at business as a job, then it's a job. If you look at business as an opportunity to grow, then it's an option. So you get to choose your own adventure. Mm-hmm. And so for my parents, their, their choice was to do this to supplement income because they couldn't get a job. But uh, as soon as I realized I was not, never going to make it as a doctor or a lawyer, Right. I started to have to work out what else could I do. So I ended up becoming a tradie. To cut a long story short, I went into the trades. I sort of was bored a bit. You know, I used to work at Channel 7. I was there for nearly 10 years as a technician. Mm-hmm. I used to build those outside broadcast vehicles and go to the footy and the tennis to in case something broke. Mm-hmm. And then I had children. And I don't know if anyone's had this experience, but children are super expensive. Right? Yeah, they are, right? <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I, I was looking for ways to make uh, increase my income. And when you're in a job, the only way to increase your income is to climb the corporate ladder, right? Mm-hmm. And so I needed a fast track. So I went to my boss and said, I, I need more money. I've got children and I have more expenses. And he looked at me like, well, the only way that happens is in three or five years as you sort of grow through the system or if the person ahead of you either leaves or dies. Mm-hmm. For a split second there, I thought there's a shortcut here. but. <laughs> Please tell me you didn't take that shortcut. <laughs> yeah, so I got them to leave. <laughs> uh, I went home and I and I promised myself I'd never ask that question again because it was so humiliating. And mm. uh, I realised that was the point, that was a turning point in my life because I started to realise that the only way I was ever going to make more money was to become more valuable. So personal development started there. I read a book called Think and Grow Rich, which most people have heard of. If they haven't, they must read it. Mm. And it literally is exactly what it says. It's about how you think determines how much you money you make. So I realized by doing that, that I could now take control of my income. That was step number one. And then from there, I realized that being in a job is a constraint. Okay. Because mm. you can still increase income in a job by becoming more valuable, but in a business, choose your own adventure. So you get to sort of choose your direction and choose how much you want to make, how hard you want to work. Tried a few businesses. I read another really brilliant book that everyone should read. It's probably on your bookshelf there called The E-Myth. Mm-hmm. It wasn't The E-Myth Revisited. It was the one before that. Yeah. Now, rumor has it that the first one was written while Michael Gerber was a stoner. So the order of all the chapters was a bit sort of incorrect and incongruent. So I had to read. Oh, there you go. I hadn't heard that story. <laughs> yeah. Well, he admits to it. So it's not a rumor. It's, uh-huh. he, he was, right? But he's quite an esoteric, flamboyant guy. But the principle in that book is priceless. Mm. And I think anyone who runs a business, it should be compulsory reading because it talks about business systems and it talks about how to create a business that works without you and the franchise model and all those sorts of things. So I read that and then I started my own business and I failed. 
And mm. the reason I failed is because reading a book doesn't make you a business person. <laughs> uh, uh, hallelujah. Yeah. So um, I had a couple of goes at this and I every time I started running a business, I ended up being the guy sweeping the floors, unlocking the doors and closing the doors at the end of the night. Mm -hmm. And I thought there's something wrong here. And what the realization was is that you might know what to do, but if you don't implement and have skill set, you still have a journey. Mm. The good news is I never gave up. So I kept trying different things. I went into a sales job because I figured that was a good way to make money. But it also meant the more valuable I became as a salesperson, the more money I made. So I spent the next seven years learning how to sell. And the good thing about that is it sort of gave me this ability to learn. And so my first sales job was in Epping. I don't know if you know where that is. And mm -hmm. I used to live in Oakley, yep. right? So mm -hmm. nearly two hours drive each way. And we had this thing called audio cassettes. These little you know, uh -huh. things yep. like that. And we used to get them from the library. So we'd listen to, I'd listen to people like Tony Robbins, Zig Ziglar, Tom Hopkins. And I had this, my university degree that I never got, which I started getting in the car on the way to and from work. So within seven years of being a sales rep, I went from novice, no idea, to being top sales rep in the industry that I was in. And people used to ask me, geez, you're gifted at sales. What are your secrets? And I said, read this book. And they sort of said, yeah, I get it. But what's the secret? And I said, the secret's mm -hmm. in the book. <laughs> so that, that sort of evolved my knowledge, but also my um, perspective on knowledge, saying mm -hmm. that knowledge is a tool. You can read a lot of books, but if you don't implement what you read, it's useless. And if you do implement it, it makes you more valuable. So the next step was, okay, I'm ready to go back into business. I know how to sell. I've developed myself a lot. I've got all the basics and away I went. And so I sort of went into the business coaching world. And that's sort of what led to this journey 20 years ago. And it's my favorite business in the world, as some of the guys who listen to your podcast would get, because mm. you make money by showing people how to make money, which is cool, yeah. right? And it also is um, like this. Jeff Wal Jack Walsh had a great saying called eat your own dog food. And he said, if you're going to teach me what to do, you better be using what you teach me. Mm. So the beauty of that principle in this business is as a business coach, right? If I teach people how to grow their business, this, the stuff I teach them should work on my business as well. Mm, totally. So, yeah. That's where it all started. And 20 years has just been iteration after iteration. And I suppose today's conversation came down to the pointy end of the stick was how do we get clients in the front door? I'm more of a fan of word of mouth and referral marketing, but I do believe it can be systemized totally. And mm -hmm. the more time you spend on systemizing word of mouth and referral, the more benefits you get out of that system as well. Mm. So that's really why the strategic alliance process that we use. Yeah, I love that journey and that story. It's very, very, there's so many parts of that that are so similar to mine. I was only, I think, 20 years old when I was told, oh, yeah, you have to wait. And mm. I kind of looked at the people around me and went, oh, they're my parents' age. I'm not waiting that long. I'm <laughs> out of here. <laughs> and, and, you know, a lot of what you shared then is perspective. And I think that's really important to note that the lens that we look at things through is what we're attracting or creating into our world. Yeah. And that's really important to recognize as well, because as we go into business or, you know, each day in business, there's always things that go really well. And there's always things that don't go so well. And it is about our perspective and our resourcefulness to, yes. to move through those things. So tell me about strategic partnerships. You use that to grow the coaching business that you're in now. Yes. Is this something that someone taught you along the way or is this something that you just figured out for yourself? I, I would love to take credit for figuring it out all by myself, but I, th I think the, the truth of um, business is business is an extension of an individual. Mm -hmm. So what tends to happen is you can have 10 people in the same industry that will run 10 different styles of business. Mm -hmm. 
So for me, the education part, because I read books all the time, um, as probably you do, I commit to reading three to four books every month. Mm -hmm. And the reason I go through that level is because they just keep me sharp and I get new ideas. And as technology evolves and the economy evolves, you, you want to be across what's going on. And I, I don't see it as work. I see it as fun, which mm -hmm. is weird considering I was a failure at academia. But, uh, <laughs> It's because it, it excites me. It inspires me to see what people are doing. It inspires me to take new ideas and apply them. Well, we, I was I was going to say that school's boring. That's what the difference is. <laughs> yeah. Well, it probably is, right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I suppose in the end, I never read when I was at school, but now mm -hmm. I, I tend to just give me a book. And, you know, I'm not a fiction reader. I love stories of business. I love stories of success. I love philosophy psychology you give me any books that talk about human nature and how people behave and i'm fascinated yeah so we sort of like in my business we were in this situation where we were looking at marketing and sales mm -hmm. and because of this nature of our business i don't believe anyone wants a coach right i think what they want is the results that a coach can mm. get them right mm -hmm. and we don't want a personal trainer we just want to have a six-pack and uh you know we want to look really good in summer so yeah. There's a lot of shortcuts, right? So you can uh -huh. go and get special diets and surgery, all sorts of weird, wonderful things. So I realized quickly that, uh, you know, trying to sell something to someone that they don't want is very frustrating. Mm -hmm. So we moved quickly into the education-based marketing world, probably about 15 years ago. When I say we, you know, our team. Mm -hmm. And so we do a lot of events and seminars and, and we were teaching people how to grow their businesses. And one, one of the models that we used was the that whole, if you're familiar with the term, creating raving fans, mm -hmm. same, the one-minute manager guy, Spencer Johnson, I think, wrote a book in this area. And it talked about how you take clients through a journey. And that start off as a suspect, prospect, shopper, customer, and then you'd move into this whole loyal customer and then raving fan. And the raving fan was the customer that gives you all the referrals. And I love this idea. Right? I love this idea of having a referral-based business. But the concern was a lot of our clients being like tradies or whatever they might be in the coaching world, they might only know one or two people in business. So we moved into this space of where do we get the most referrals? And the answer was people who serve the same target market as us. Mm -hmm. So we started working with accountants, with IT providers, with web marketing companies, anyone who serves the SME space. And it was interesting because they had the same business problems as everyone else. But if they became raving fans of our business, they had a whole tribe of people who fit our target market that they would refer to. Mm -hmm. uh, we sort of realized, or I realized at that point in time, if I was going to put my time and effort into marketing, why not market to the people who've got the big referral basis? And that's where the strategic alliance strategy sort of grew from. There's plenty of reading on these topics, like I'm not even going to tell you the names of the books. People can Google them and find them. But for me, it's sort of like layer upon layer of marketing and sales activity focused on um, getting people to have a great experience with your organization, finding the right people to be talking to, and then making sure that you turn them into raving fans. Mm, I'm a big fan of strategic partnerships. It is the easiest way to, I believe, to grow a business if you don't want to sink money into paid advertising or paid marketing, because you're, you know, you, if you're moving that one-on-one -on -one sales conversation to one-to-many. And I think if people can really get this, they yeah. can really accelerate the results in their business so quickly yeah. because all of a sudden, you know, like I'll say to people, oh, who's a good referral for you? And and they'll mention this, this one person rather yeah. than, you know, it's an organization that's got, mm. you know, a thousand of my ideal clients or 50,000 of my ideal clients. Yeah. And I think that this goes back to the original point that I made. It's all about perspective. Where can yeah. we go to speak to one person that gives us access to so many more people? You got it. Yeah. So what, what you touched on there is a really critical piece of the puzzle because uh, 
I always see a strategic partner as a like a bouncer at the front of a nightclub, right? <laughs> I really <laughs> like that thought. <laughs> well, inside the nightclub is their clients that they're going to uh-huh. protect, right? Because they're their clients. And outside yeah. the nightclub is you saying, hey, let me in because I want to be introduced to these people. Uh-huh. And so we've got to navigate that. And there's only a couple of ways to get past the bouncer, right? <laughs> One is to give them cash. <laughs> that'll get you in the door. That bouncers love cash. <laughs> yeah. The other way is to get someone who's already a member of the club to walk you through the front door. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so, so there is two or three different ways we can get past this bouncer. But if you don't think of it this way, then a lot of strategic alliances fall over. Mm-hmm. And so for me, we as a company worked out what's the best way to get the bouncer to want to let us in the front door. And there's a simple answer to that. And it is to make sure that the bouncer gets a benefit out of the letting you in. Mm-hmm. Now, cash can work in some industries, but a lot of people don't like the whole cash idea. It's a bit sort of, you know. Icky sometimes. Well, it, it can be seen as secret commissions or inappropriate. Mm-hmm. And look, I, I don't think you should refer based on cash. I think you should refer based on reputation because your brand's at stake. Mm-hmm. So then we come down to the second principle, which is the idea of having something to trade. Now, what does the bouncer want that I have? Now, in the nightclub scenario, the bouncer wants sort of A-grade people walking into their club. So if I can bring a posse of A-grade people with me, they're probably going to let me in the front door. Mm. Okay. And so to me, this posse of A-grade people is also like the goose that lays the golden eggs, right? And every person in business or every person that's alive has some level of network. And that network has a value attached to it for them, but also for their potential strategic partners. So I often talk about building the goose that lays the golden eggs. And in any business, that's your database, not of clients, your database of contacts, right? Mm -hmm. And it's a combination of how many and quality of connection, right? Mm -hmm. So if you say, I've got 10,000 people who follow me on LinkedIn, that's very different to saying, I have 15 people who know me personally, and they would basically open the front door to me if I knocked on it. Mm -hmm. So we're looking for quality, not quantity. And this is a good trading chip, okay? So going into strategic partnerships, this is almost better than cash, Right. Because it gives a, it gives that sort of ability to say, well, I've got this good group of people and I'd like to introduce you to them if you introduce me to yours type thing. Mm, mm. And so this works quite well for us. So we've started to build this whole series of relationships where we're working with people by introducing databases to each other. The other part of the equation is the marketing side. You've got to have something good to say. Okay. Because yep. it can't be just about selling. It can't be all about you. It has to be almost like a win, win, win situation. It has to be a win for the, the bouncer has to be a win for the people in the nightclub and it has to be a win for me. Mm, okay? mm-hmm. And if you can work this formula out, and we've spent a lot of time on this because there's a bit of hit and miss in there. But if you work this formula out, you'll find that the bouncer will let you straight into the nightclub, no problem, because mm, there's trust, mm. right? And the biggest thing with strategic partnerships or referrals is the trust equation. So if people are aware of the trust equation, if it doesn't stack up, there's no referrals. If it does stack up, then all of a sudden things start to flow. Mm. So they're the elements that we've worked on to just make sure that we've got successful partnerships. We now have, I don't know, probably in the vicinity of 50 to 100 partners that we work with actively Mm -hmm. in like multiple partners in every industry. So we don't do exclusivity. I'm not a fan of exclusivity. I think there's a bit of a scarcity mindset around it. I think it's good to have half a dozen accounting firms that we can refer to and refer to us rather than one, the same Mm -hmm. marketing companies, et cetera. So we've just built up this whole labyrinth of referral partners that we use now. Mm, I love that. And you were talking about the just going back with the bouncer needing some sort of value. And I think that I just wanted to touch on something that you said very quickly and people may not have missed it or may have missed it, I'm sorry, is that sometimes the value isn't specifically for that bouncer. Mm -hmm. A lot of times from 
what I've found is when you align your values with that bouncer, their value is actually ensuring that their nightclub gets the value. It's actually not for that person in particular. And you did allude to that very quickly, but I did want to go back and touch on that because I think that's when, you know, strategic partnerships work really well is when you find people that add value to their audience because that's when there's a values alignment and the trust is there, which you talked about as well. I refer to this, what you just described as the love triangle. Um, oh, there you go. I'm all about the love. Because <laughs> <laughs> what happens is uh, you, you think about it, right? If I knocked on your door and said, hey, Sam, I'd like you to introduce me to your client base. Mm-hmm. Straight away, you, you're protective, right? You're saying mm-hmm. they're my client base and my reputation's at stake. So why would I introduce them to you? And I say, I'll pay you. And you go, I don't want money. I want to protect them, right? Because Correct. if you upset them, that damages my relationship. Correct. So we've got this three-way sort of relationship that's going on. And it's not about you making money or not making money. It's about you protecting your relationship with your people. I could be a threat. So I've got to be non-threatening to you and non-threatening to them at the same time. And that's why I call it a triangle because it's not about me satiating your requirements. It's about you protecting your people. It's about me having a, a value proposition for both of you. So for you and them, right? Mm -hmm. And as you alluded to, it's not about money. It's about are you going to make me look good or are you going to make me look bad? Right? Mm. Are you going to help me with my clients or are you going to hinder me with my clients? And and these value propositions can be complex, okay? Because sometimes we we tried this where we said, look, we'll just give you commissions. We tried this very early and for me it didn't work. And Mm. ever since then, every time we've had a look at it and every time someone's come to us and said, Dave, we'd love you to refer our product to your client base and here's the contract and you'll get 10% and And straight away, I feel like I'm being hijacked Mm. because all of a sudden I'm doing it for money and really that's not how I work, right? And you're probably the same. You know, it's about I want to add value and if I add value, then the money will appear. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, it's about an exchange of an exchange of value, which that money at the time could yeah. be, you know, let's say it's whatever it is and it's, it's X amount. The value of that and getting it right, you know, 20, 100 X is that in the end. So focusing on just the money can be such a limiting belief and such a it makes the growth stagnant because things just don't flow then. Yeah. And look, the the main thing there, and if you ever dig deep into the psychology of money, money is just a measurement. It's got no Mm -hmm. emotion attached to it. It's not good or bad, right? But the real issue is that it's a lagging indicator. What I mean by that is if you do a good job, you get paid well. If you do a bad job, you don't get paid. Mm -hmm. So it tells you what happened after the fact. trying Trying to use money to negotiate a relationship is like putting the cart before the horse, right? Mm. The reality is if the relationship's good and everyone's winning, then there'll be money in it, right? Mm. If it's no good, then there won't be. So so I often find that when money comes into the equation too early, people are talking about the wrong thing, right? Because that's like looking at a scoreboard before the game starts and says, let's predict who's going to win the game. <laughs> no score, right? So, oh, let's put some score up there. Well, you can't because uh, they need to play and then they need to kick some goals and then we put the score on the scoreboard, right? So we're sort of looking for other indicators and usually in a relationship when it's new, um, we're very sensitive to behaviours. So if someone starts chasing you because they want to do a deal with you, you start to suspect what's going on. Why are they so hungry for this deal? What's wrong with mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, you know, people who are too hungry can be seen as desperate. Yep, and yep. people who are a bit flippant can be seen as they don't really care. So there's, there's a right sizing of this engagement. And this is why I call it the love triangle because it breaks easily. If you don't consider all three places, it's not just the other two. It's not just the bouncer and the people in the club. It's also yourself, okay? 
because sometimes people compromise their own position to try and win the deal and they're not happy in the end because it doesn't work out to be worthwhile. So it has to be win, win, win. Mm. It's quite a difficult thing to arrive at. Let's go one step back because I think what we've done is sort of jumped into that. Yeah. Let's go one step back. The way that we can get a referral to the bouncers, I'm going to keep keep with this metaphor because we've, we've gone in now, <laughs> <laughs> you know, to get this referral, how do we find these people and build that relationship? How do we get them yeah. to refer us into or invite us in? Because I great think question. that this is the million dollar question that everyone's thinking right now. It's a great question. It's, it's probably the hardest question. Uh-huh. I'll, I'll give you my insight. Many, many years ago, when I sort of got on this idea of strategic alliances and I was a business coach, I said, you know what, I just need to find accountants because accountants serve small business and all they need to do is refer me to their clients. And if I help their clients, they'll make more money too. So I knocked on 10 accountants doors. This was very green around the gills. And I said, listen, we should talk about strategic partnership and I'm going to give you this offer that's too good to refuse. I will coach you for free, right? Just to prove what I do works. And straight away, it was like that desperate salesperson. Everyone goes, Mm -hmm. that sounds great. Let me get back to you. And it's like, I just said, I'll do it for free. And they they said, yes, I know, but you know, I need to think about it. And I said, which part of free do you need to? So I couldn't understand this, right? And then that's when I realized that it's not about what I think is valuable. It's about what they think is valuable. Mm, which so, is time in that instance they're thinking this yeah. is going to take my time and yeah. it's not worth it right now yeah and i don't even know this guy from a bar of soap and he's promising all these things that i've got no idea i don't even know who he is mm. so um we we had to sort of work out and it was an interesting question and i often do this with when we do this workshop on partners and i asked the question what does this potential bounce what does the bouncer want right and most people will say well you know he wants to get paid and he wants to, you know, keep his job and he doesn't want any blood on the floor of the nightclub. And, you know, they're sort of talking in these sort of roundabout terms. So when we talk about partners and if I was talking to him, what, what does an accountant want? Well, he wants his clients to grow and he wants to protect their relationship with him. Yes, that's true. But what he actually wants is what is on his KPI for his business, which is to get more clients. Mm-hmm. So all this other stuff is what I want, right? I want to help you serve your clients so that everyone's happy. But what he wants is just some more clients. Mm-hmm. So once we worked out the brutal truth, then we started to say, well, how do we deliver that upfront? Now, how do we give the bouncer what they want upfront? Now, the first question is to understand what the bouncer's agenda is, because every bouncer has a different agenda, right? Some bouncers, really, their, their agenda is they do want to fight. That's why they've got the job. Mm-hmm. Others, really, their agenda is to make sure that they're the sort of, uh, you know, the justice of the peace, that there's no trouble in the club. And others want to make sure that it's jumping inside the club so they only want a certain kind of person coming in. If I don't know what that bouncer's agenda is, I'm going to guess. Okay? Yep. So I have to do the research and I have to find mm-hmm. out exactly. If I Google, these days Google's your best friend, right? Because you can find everybody. Yep. You can Google the bouncer and you can read all about what they do in their social time, what they do in their family time, what they do at work, what their objectives are, and then you can start to key into what they want. And mm. I think the assumption here is that there's an old metaphor, the W-I-F-M, what's in it for me? Mm-hmm. might have heard this before. It used to be called the most powerful radio station on the planet. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, if I, know, if I know what you want, not what I think you want, if I know what you want and I deliver what you want on a platter, chances of you letting me in the club are pretty high. Mm-hmm. Okay? If I guess and I'm wrong, then it usually ends up in a being ghosted. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. that sounds great, David. I'll get back to you. It doesn't mean that you're not interested. It means that I missed the mark. Yeah, and I think taking responsibility 
for understanding what the other person needs is critical here because I can ask you, so Sam, what do you want? And you're sitting there going, do I have to tell you how to do your job? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I can Google Sam Riley online. I can find out everything about what you want and what you desire Mm -hmm. and what's important to you and do the research. And then Mm -hmm. when we have a conversation and I say, look, you're the bouncer at the door and I want you to let me in. And I know that one of your key objectives is to save kids in South Africa. And I've got three of them already and I want to get five more, then we're sort of on the right path. Does that make sense? Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Totally. So so it's about due diligence, doing the work. Mm. So look, I suppose just to maybe recap, the bounce is an important part of the equation, but it's the diligence on finding out what that person really wants and not treating everyone like a number, right? Because every person has a different agenda. And if you take the time to find out, then they will see the value in you trying to create this connection. Hmm. And, and we've managed to work out how to do that. And so a lot of our partnerships are based on giving people what they desire, which isn't what we sell. Hmm. So as an example, we run a lot of events, live events online. We do it all on Zoom now. We used to do them as breakfasts. A lot of people want to run events online, but they've got no idea how to do it, number one. They're scared to death of getting in front of a camera and they're not confident that they can get people into the event. So we facilitate the whole thing. We show them how to do a presentation. We show them how to create the marketing strategy and we actually help them in filling the room. And so all of a sudden it becomes an easy path. They still have the nerves when they get in front of the camera, but all the logistics are done. Mm. For Mm. a lot of our partners, that's actually a part of their marketing strategy moving forward. I love what you just talked about then. And I think this is the way business is going even more. I I know that it's certainly been going this way for for a long time, but the... B2B or B2C space that has been so much talked about, I think is really the P2P space. We're we're starting to understand that we're doing relation, we're building relationships with real people, that we don't build relationships with businesses or it's not like that. It's all about creating relationships with people. So not only by understanding what motivates them, but actually really getting to know them, not just how can I help you, but how can we actually grow this and take this even further? Like what is it that I can add to you and you can add to me? And when we put it together, it's not just 2x, it's now 10x. And I think that the really the best partnerships are taking this to a whole new level. Yeah, because, uh, you know, the old saying of synergy, you know, one plus one equals three. Mm. We have this ability to work together, but most people don't trust each other. Mm-hmm. And the reason they don't trust each other is because they've either been burnt or they've been a number in a, in a sort of series of things, so they're just getting smashed. And to me, that's not good marketing, right? That's very inefficient, right? So to bring 100 people to know that one or two of them will be interested in talking to me is very inefficient. So, you know, I learned one uh, really interesting philosophy from a guy by the name of Chet Holmes, and he wrote a book called The Ultimate Sales Machine. Mm-hmm. He talked about this philosophy. He said, imagine if we filled a stadium with 100,000 of your target market, they had to come to this event, but as soon as you open your mouth, they could get up and walk out the door. Mm-hmm. As soon as I stand up and say, hi, I'm David Guest, I'm a business coach, 97% of the room get up and say, oh, don't want that, <laughs> out of here. Yeah, no, thank you. <laughs> yeah. 3% say, hey, that's cool because we're in the market right now. Now, that's how most people's pitches are, right? They talk mm-hmm. about who they are and what they do, and they assume that the people who are interested gravitate to that. And it does happen, but it's a very small number. So the question he posed is, how do I get the balance of the 97% to stay? Mm. And the answer is not overly difficult, right? It's talking about their problems and their world instead of my title on my business card. Mm-hmm. So I already know that they're my target market. So let's say it's SME. And I've got, I've got 100,000 SME people in the room. 
And as soon as I stand up and say I'm a business coach, 97% get up and leave, right? Mm-hmm. Change my story. Instead of saying I'm a business coach, you say I'm here to talk to you about why most businesses fail in the first five years and what to do about it. And straight mm. away, I'm not talking about what I do. I'm talking about a problem that a lot of those people have. Mm. Now, doing that, I'll get more. I won't get 100 because <laughs> some people say I've heard that all before and I'm not interested. But the philosophy is the more I talk about them and their world, the more likely that they will stay and listen. As soon as they hear pitch, as soon as they, I say, well, this is what I do and this is what I'm selling, they evaluate and decide. Mm. So the whole idea is thinking in terms of what happens in their world. There's an old marketing saying, and I use this a lot, it's about entering the conversation that's already taking place in their mind. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep, you probably heard this. And yep. it's a fascinating concept because when you do it successfully, people sit there going, how does he know that I'm thinking that? Well, how does mm-hmm. she know I'm thinking that? Yeah, do they have a crystal ball? Yeah. Now, the truth of the matter is it's about being sort of perceptive. It's also about asking questions. It's about understanding your target market intimately. So you are talking to the people, not as numbers, but as people, as you were saying. Mm. So the H2H or P2P. H2H is? Human to human. Oh, it makes so much sense when you say it. (laughs) I had to close that loop in my head. I was like, whoa. (laughs) I love this so much. I can tell that you really understand and live and breathe this, all of these principles, which, you know, I thoroughly believe this is you know strategic partnership is how we built our seven-figure business like I said it's the fastest way to go so for people that are enjoying this conversation David how do they connect with you yeah well there's there's several ways I mean they can jump on LinkedIn on Facebook on the website so you know the company is called outcomes so we're at uh, outcomes.business is the URL and I've got a whole lot of tools so probably the other thing and uh, we created a checklist so when we do our evaluation of partners We have a checklist that we use to evaluate whether there's a fit. And I'm happy if people want to grab that, they can just reach out either by email or to the website and just ask for it. Mm -hmm. It's a tool that we use internally when we work with our partners. We actually share it with them, but we also use it when we're qualifying our partners coming through the process. Because the thing I found with partnerships is you've got to be clear up front that there's a match. Mm. Because to go and learn all this stuff about someone to realize that you've got your, your ladder up against the wrong fence or the wrong wall can be quite time consuming. So we sort of have a methodology where we say, look, before we get too sort of deep into this relationship, let's work out if there's a, there's a match in principle for both parties, right? There has to be a win for both sides before we go any further. Mm. So we've got tools like that that we offer. I'm not sure if they're directly on the website, but if anyone wants them, just get them to shoot me an email or reach out to contact me on the website. Perfect. And of course, we'll put all of those notes in the show notes over at influencedbydesignpodcast.com. If you're on the treadmill and you can't get to your phone right now, don't worry, we've got you back. David, obviously, this episode is going live at the beginning of 2022. I would love you to leave us with one parting thought of what you would love people to think about or to embrace coming into this new year. Mm, Sure. There's probably one main thought, and we we use it here a lot. See, in business or in life, there's two kinds of change, right? There's cyclic change, like the weather, and then there's structural change. And structural change is things that happen that never reverse themselves, okay? And we talk about COVID normal, right? We talk about, you know, we're in this world now that this is just going to be normality. One of the things that occurred right at the start is people started using this type of communication on Zoom and Skype and et cetera, et cetera. And they said, this is great because we can talk to people even when we can't see them. 
Now, what's actually happened is this is structural change to me. And what I mean by that is that people are starting to realise that this is a travel replacement. Mm. So even when we unlock and everything goes back to normal, people are going to still say, I can Zoom you for half an hour and not have to travel and park. Mm -hmm. So I can save probably three hours of travel time by using this. So I think, you know, business has to evolve. And when we evolve, it's about taking the structural changes and putting them into place in the business as part of the process. So we do all of our events online now. And some people are saying, when are you going to go back to face-to-face -face events? And I said, look, we'll still run them, but they'll be different. Mm. Because the online events allows us to do more events at a lower cost and reach more people. Mm. So now it has a place in our marketing and our lead gen. Yep. And so for me, it's about thinking, what are the structural shifts that I need to make in my business versus what are the cyclic shifts, which are things I'm doing temporarily? Because the, the term pivot was used a lot at the start of this situation. And yep. I'm not a fan of pivot because the underlying assumption of pivot is change direction. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's not about pivoting, it's about adapting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the person who adapts the fastest is the person that's most resilient in any environment. So it doesn't matter if the economy is going up, down or sideways because we're about to hit a massive wave of inflation. And uh, I, I just remember when this all started and the government was handing out all this cash, JobKeeper, JobSeeker, and I thought, geez, you know, they're just printing money. Right? Uh -huh. We know where that's going to go. <laughs> yeah, we do. We're all going to end up paying for it, right? So it's going to mm -hmm. come back in inflation. And, and I was quite negative about it for a while. And what I realised is someone pointed out to me, they said, you know all this money they're printing? They're giving it to people who don't know how to hold it, mm -hmm. which means those people will spend that money. So if you've got the products and you're ready and you're set up, you will be the recipient of all of this government funding. And mm -hmm. it just flipped the whole thing around for me. And I thought, you know, I've been thinking about this the wrong way. Because when they print money and they hand it out to the economy, to all of the people who you know need it, those people don't keep it. They spend it. Exactly. <laughs> how do we make sure that we're there? For them to spend the money with so it's another opportunity for growth within business so this whole idea of being adaptable versus pivoting is a key element for us mm, love it so much david it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today thank you for sharing so much value and best of luck not that you need luck but i'm wishing you a fantastic 2022 sam it's been fun talking to you as well Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Influence by Design podcast. If you want more, head over to samanthariley.global forward slash podcast for the show notes and links to today's gifts and sponsors. And if you're looking to connect with other coaches and experts who are growing and scaling their business too, come and join the Coaches Course Creators and Speakers group on Facebook. The links are all waiting for you over at samanthariley.global.